I'm David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. This is Renovation Made Right. If you're considering a remodeling project now or sometime in the future, Renovation Made Right is your single source to help guide you through getting the project you want and an experience that you'll enjoy. Renovation Made Right tackles topics that range from how to select the right project and contractor to tips on surviving the remodeling process to best practices for kitchen and bath design. We have over 30 years of experience in the industry and are owners of the well-established design-build remodeling company Black Dog Builders in Salem and Nashua, New Hampshire. We're sitting down with industry professionals to tap into their experiences and insights so we can equip you with the tools you need to make your own project a success. All right, so welcome to uh, Renovation Made Right. I am uh, David Bryan. And more importantly, I am Brenda Bryan. <laughs> most, and definitely, we, most definitely more important. And we are very happy to have you back again for another episode. And today we are going to be doing some Q&A. We've got some questions from our listeners, and we are going to be answering those, and we are very, very excited to do so. Let's do it. All right, so I will start with the first question here. Oh, this is a... One with not a good answer. How long does it take to remodel a bathroom? That is, <laughs> that's a whole topic unto itself. That's not a good answer you said? No, that's, I'm, it, it's, it's, it's very variable, I think we can say. Is, and that, that question, by the way, is Joe in Sanborn, New Hampshire. All right. So, yes, how long does it take to remodel a bathroom? I think that entirely depends on the scope of the bathroom remodeling you're doing. I think that's exactly right. I think it's so it's even more than that, right? There are other variables that come into play. Um, if you're doing like in our company, we call a very simple remodeling project where we're basically taking out the fixtures and putting in new fixtures and new cabinetry and maybe a new floor. We call that a fluff and buff, right? Oh, the fluff and buff. And the fluff and buff is is pretty fast, right? That can even happen in a matter of a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, where we're just doing basically the the, the finishes. Um, however. That's the minority of projects that we see, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of projects that we see, people truly want their bathroom space to be better. And so that usually ends up being uh, a more involved project where we might be changing design or changing walls and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those om- almost always involve a full gut. Now, it's very common that we go down the road of a full gut for a bathroom project because it affords us a couple of different opportunities, right? Uh, it affords us the opportunity to improve some of the infrastructure. What do I, what do I mean by that? Yes, what do you mean by that? (laughs) So I mean by that um, it affords us the chance to upgrade plumbing, Mm -hmm. upgrade electrical, uh, improve ventilation. That's a big, big deal. Oh, ventilation is huge. There's an awful lot of musty bathrooms around with with mold and mildew problems because there's no... There's no venting to the outside. Right. Uh, either either in an older bathroom there's no venting or there's just bad venting. Right. right. There's venting that's underperforming or um, – or and, and let's just follow that up real quick. This is a little bit of a digression, but um, if you're talking about a second floor bath, um, one of the things that you want to be really sure of is if there's a bath vent fan, that that, in fact, is vented to the outside of the house. And not just up into the not attic. Not just up into the attic. Because then you've just moved your mold problem into your attic. Right. And, and, and you know, while maybe it's not in the, in the absolute, you know, living space of your home, it still has the potential for being a, a health impact to you negatively, right? Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, back to the question about the, the overall uh, duration. So, um, you know, bathrooms, it sounds a little crazy, uh, but bathrooms can still be six to eight week projects mm-hmm. uh, to do because, and it sounds a little crazy when you think you might call a, a, a you know a, a bath liner company that just does new walls and maybe a new sh- a new tub base, yeah, and, and that's and like out. a week long project yeah. or a three day project or whatever, right. and that's you know that you get kind of a little facelift from that. Um, 
and, and I get that, but it's a different, if, you, if we're doing a full gut and we are updating electrical, because again, we walk into a ton of bathrooms where the electrical is not to code. Yeah, right. right? They don't have GFCI. Exactly. Which is right? ground fault. Let's just back up a minute ah. for, the, for, the, for the newbies in the world. GFCI is ground fault interrupted circuits. And so that means if you are blow drying your hair and you accidentally drop your blow dryer in the tub that you're that your husband is in and it wasn't on purpose um, <laughs> or or even if it was it's a good thing i take showers yeah, yeah um it it will the 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 circuit will trip and and the current cannot keep flowing exactly. so as to adequately fry him right so <laughs> right exactly you have to th- come up with a more creative way <laughs> or you know go downstairs and plug an extension cord in downstairs yeah. where there's no gfci somewhere right and then, exactly. you know, or in the hallway right yeah. and then you can pop properly yeah. fly fry your husband so but uh yes yeah, so, hey, one so, one point about about marriages that i do want to point out and back up because I, I i meant to say this earlier when you're talking about ventilation not only does ventil good ventilation take out the moisture in a room which causes mildew it also takes the stank out of the room and this is very good for marriages is like the ability to quickly flush the stank absolutely right yeah. so good ventilation makes a big big difference across just the saying board. right marital mm-hmm. bliss as well mm-hmm. so um, although the, the the best way to do that is if you have enough space to design actually a separate water closet yeah, yeah, yeah. in the bathroom yep, that, that's a big deal that but, is ideal but for for a lot of bathrooms that's not a possibility right so anyway the the full gut which is often the case which i think i think at the end of the day it, I appreciate the fact that it delivers a more expensive remodeling project, but it also delivers a better remodeling project because, once again, we get back to the infrastructure. So very, it's not uncommon at all that if you're dealing with an older home, uh, you might only have one circuit in the bathroom, or maybe you don't even have one circuit in the bathroom. Maybe your bathroom circuit is actually shared by receptacles in the hallway mm-hmm. or things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So today with you know appliances like uh, curling irons, flat irons, blow dryers, all that kind of stuff, uh, you can find some power demands in the bathroom that you didn't used to have, right? And so, so today, the code requires you actually have two circuits in the bathroom. But even if you don't have something fancy like a Whirlpool tub or right. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's another example of getting the infrastructure right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... It also means that if you are blow-drying your hair, you don't, you know, bust a fuse every time. Yes, right? when I'm blow-drying yeah. my hair, I think about that a lot, Yes. Um, You're so, so sassy. <laughs> and so, 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 so sassy. <laughs> and so the other thing that, that you think about, too, is um, if while you have the walls open, uh, you don't take the opportunity to update the, the supply lines and the waste lines mm. and convert those over to more durable materials, potentially, uh, you're wasting opportunity, right? Because nothing is worse than doing a beautiful bathroom model and six months later seeing a stain in your kitchen ceiling mm. because a, a little bit of a, like, mm-hmm. a little bit of a leak occurred, right, or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like, and, and that's a risk you run when you do the Band-Aid or when you do sort of the, the fluff and buff. You're not doing full replacement. And, you know, if you're if we're going into a model of bathroom that's, that's 30 or 40 years old uh, or older, everything has got a lifespan to it, including simple things like the shutoff valves to your sink or the shutoff valve to your toilet, right? Mm-hmm. If your toilet's got a problem and you go to actuate that shutoff valve and turn the water off and the handle just spins in your hand, mm-hmm. that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, to, to do a remodel properly means you're replacing that sort of the, the guts of it, right? right. Um, and that but, part, I'm, but a part of this discussion is also cost, right? 100%. Obviously, you know, a fluff and buff is... is uh, way less money. Way less money, right? right? To leave everything right. in exactly the same place it already is and just replace it with new, new material. So budget for people is often is often an issue. And and, and generally speaking, the, the because the question was how long, uh, the budget and the duration 
are almost you know mm-hmm. in- inexplicably tied. To, I mean, inextricably tied together. Pardon me. Inexplic- inexplicably. Yeah. Inexplicably. No, I think we can see the kind of connection. <laughs> and, yeah. And so yeah, they're, they're tied together very much. And um, I think that uh, that the other thing that people need to understand is, so what's the average bathroom size? Like how many square feet would you say the average bath is? 35 to 40. Like yeah, a typical small, bathroom right? is like 5 by 7, 5 by 8. Right, right. right. Small, relatively small. And and in that space, one of the things that I think a lot of folks don't appreciate is unless you hire sort of a, of a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy who's going to illegally do the plumbing and illegally do the electrical, if you do the project correctly, that means you're bringing in a licensed trade for each separate discipline. Mm-hmm. And so with... With the exception of maybe an excavator and a foundation contractor and, or, you know, a roofer, you're bringing in all the same trades that you would bring in to build a house, mm-hmm. right? You're bringing a carpenter in, you're bringing a dumpster on site, you're bringing, you know, an uh, electrician and a plumber and a drywaller and a painter and a tiler mm-hmm. and all of those mm-hmm. people. Uh, and all of those trades require coordination. And they've got, they've got to come in to do the rough work, meaning the work that we do before the sheetrock goes on. And then they have to come in again to do the finish work, meaning applying the, the or connecting the fixtures after your floor is in and your sheetrock is in and your paint is done. Um, and, uh, and, and that's true of, of trades like electrical and plumbing or HVAC. Uh, but, you know, all those have to be scheduled and coordinated and it takes time. Right. right. And and so it's never perfect that you can have like trucks lined up in the driveway and they high five each other on the way out. And, OK, it's the electrician's turn. And now it's the plumber's turn. And, and you can it doesn't work like that. Right. right. And uh, and and then more than that, especially these days. So we're recording this in October of 2020. We're still uh, you know in the thick of covid. And uh, especially these days, we have challenges with communities who are not fully open yet. Actors who are either not inspecting job sites or uh, trying to inspect job sites sort of quasi-remotely with photographs or uh, just, you know, there's a staffing challenge. And Mm -hmm. and so that's another uh, wrinkle to it. If if we can't count on timely inspections, and and we've had some communities who have strung us out for two weeks on a rough inspection, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That job is at a standstill until that happens, right? So the short answer is a fluff and buff can be a week long to two week experience. A full gut remodel for the average project can be six to eight weeks, right? So that sounds like a lot, but another thing to think about um, to our to our question, yeah, who was our question? Was it the, the person? Joe, Joe. Sanborn. So uh, another thing to think about, Joe, is um, if it's your only bathroom in your house and you work with your contractor, they can typically do um, set things up so that you're never left without without a working shower. Maybe it's in the you know it's in a rough stage or whatever. But uh, your contractor can probably work in such a way where on one day the old stuff comes out and the new stuff goes in and then plastic goes up. So that that next day you can shower. So it's not going to be pretty, right. But it's going to be serviceable. Yeah, you right? might be looking at the studs with you know plastic right. sheeting over it, but but it's still workable. Right, and and maybe you've still got a powder room downstairs, and your sink and your toilet will be usable down there, but your shower could be up there, right? right. And so, so there, obviously that also can slow down the process, but leave you the ability to use the space. Right. So, that's and so, so, you know, and the big question is how long does it take to remodel a bathroom? We've given you no answer at all. I think that's not true. I circled <laughs> back. That's totally not true. I circled now, back I, and said. I know, I know. But, and, and, and the truth is if you do it yourself, which some people do, it could take you years. And we've seen that happen too. Sure. So, so there's not a good answer to this, but I hope that's given you at least some, some broad strokes. Right. And if you, back to your conversation about the ventilation of the bathroom and the marriage, if you do it yourself and you take years, you can put all the ventilation you want, but that's going to stress your marriage. You're right. right? So, <laughs> um, that is true. 
Okay, our next question is from Jason in Tewksbury, Mass. And he says, I'm rebuilding my back deck. Do I need a building permit? Ah, great question, Jason. So, Breaking um, the law, breaking the law. <laughs> so if you are, uh, and, and it's interesting, if you, I'm sure that a building official might answer this question a little differently, right? But when you say rebuilding, let's say that the basic frame was built and um, done properly and was inspected at the time it was built, mm -hmm. right? So let's say if your deck was built, I don't know, maybe it was in the 80s, mm -hmm. and it was a press-treated deck in the 80s, um, and it passed inspection, it was put on concrete piers, it's properly connected to the house, but you're tired of the splintered press-treated decking and your railing that looks crappy, and what you really want to do is make it look new and, and you're going to use synthetic material, then you actually don't need a building permit, right? Because right. that's more, like we said in the last question, a fluff and buff where you're just replacing materials, but you're keeping the structure the same. Right. Now, the truth is, yes, that's true. But like as in, in an example where you're doing the uh, synthetic materials, like synthetic decking and railing, it, it ends up being a lot. It sounds like fluff and buff, but the truth is that's super expensive material. So it's, mm -hmm. a, so it's a big project. Mm -hmm. It's an expensive mm -hmm. project. Yep. Um, but if you're not changing things that are code compliant, um, and if or you even the, like the size of your deck, right? Right, or the right. footprint of your yep. deck, right? Mm -hmm. So if your if your old footprint was was code conforming and inspected and good, uh, and your new footprint is the same, and you're not changing your stairs and so forth, but you're going to just put on, you're going to take up your old decking, and you're going to put down new decking. You're going to take out the old railings that, by the way, were code compliant, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning that on the railings, let's say, you know, if your if your deck is is uh, over 30 inches off the ground, and you can't be you, you can't be in a situation where you can pass a f anything bigger than a four-inch sphere through any opening in the railings, right? So, and, and why is that? Oh, so that's a code compliance issue. You want to make sure that you can't get a child's head uh, sticking out, so that a child, an infant, could fall off your deck. Yes. Right. So that's essentially the that, the that won't that won't save the the knuckleheads from occasionally getting their heads stuck and having to call the fire but department. A stuck head is better than a head that falls off the deck. Yes, that is true. Right, so. But we have seen the stuck heads. We have. Yeah. Yep, we have. We have I've seen stuck heads with clients, kids <laughs> on interior <laughs> balusters as well, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but regardless, uh, that's the idea. The idea is, is to, if, if you're still compliant code-wise um, and you're just doing sort of a facelift, then um, then I would I would look at that falling under the category of repair mm -hmm. and uh, and repairs uh, are not permit required. Now I'm going to put the caveat in there, right? You might get a different interpretation from your local code enforcement officer. That's mm -hmm. uh, you asked me my opinion. I'm telling you my opinion of that. If if you make a structural change or modification, that's a different deal, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the things that you need to be mindful of, the bigger things you need to be mindful of, is the connection detail to the house. Right, and make sure that the deck is properly attached to the house. And properly attached to the house is not just nailed in. Right mm -hmm. Today, properly attached to the house is some form of mechanical connection other than nails. Like um, there are, there's hardware out there called ledger locks, which are um, essentially like big lag bolts that mm -hmm. you can use to screw into the framing. There also are um, Simpson connectors. Simpson is a manufacturer that makes structural connectors for the construction industry. industry and there are connectors that allow you to, to connect your deck to the house. You know, because everyone's got the, seen the situations where there's a party and a deck falls on the side of a right, house, right? right. So yeah. the code has become more stringent over time. So there's that that big issue, the connection detail, and there's then the support at the end of the deck, away from the house, um, and that's where you want to make sure that it wasn't a homeowner special and they they didn't um, that they actually didn't just now, put now. Now, what do you mean by a homeowner? Special? Well, I mean clarify. So so I mean that it's that a, that sounded really just like like you're you're picking on homeowners everywhere. Well, okay, fair enough. 
and maybe I am. Yeah. Um, because I see I, I, I see a lot Showing of sketchy your bias. I see a lot of sketchy decks out there. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's there are people and, who, and and a lot of people think, Oh, how hard can this be? Right. Well and how hard can it be? Or, or if I just put my deck if I put my posts on cement blocks and I bury the block underground and make it flush, I'm okay. Or or maybe I'll just pour you know, a little bit of a concrete footing, and instead of a four foot, right, right? Instead of four foot deep, and and to and frankly, today you want a wider diameter, twelve foot diameter pier. Um, twelve, 12 inch. sorry, twelve inch, I twelve like, inch that's diameter. A that's a lot of big concrete, old pier. Right? Yeah. Twelve inch diameter pier. You that's you don't need to do more than that unless you put a roof on the structure, mm -hmm. right? But it's it's uh, it's not uncommon that you won't, you'll find your posts maybe only partially on the piers. Maybe you can't even see the piers, and if you can't see the piers, you need to break out a shovel. And dig and make sure that the four by fours or the four, six by sixes that are going into the ground actually are resting on something solid, mm -hmm. right? And if they're not, and you do have to pour new footings, that's an area where you do need to get a permit, mm -hmm. right? Because you do need to have the inspector inspect the hole before you pour your concrete and uh, and make sure you've been compliant with your four feet depth. Now, I'm saying, by the way, we know that there are people that listen in a lot of different areas. Um, so I'm saying that to those folks in the Northeast, where our frost protection requirement is, we have to be 48 inches below grade. If you're doing this in Virginia, that's a completely different story. Right. You know, and I don't know what the answer is there, but it's it's probably less. It's probably two feet. Right. Right. So, right. Um, but that's a that's a big deal. So anyway, uh, new decking, new railings, not a permit required from my perspective. Okay. Very good. All right. Our next question. Um, I need to re-roof my house, and I'm thinking about using a metal roof. What are the pros and cons? Ah. And this is from Joan in Drakeit, Mass. My mom's name was Joan. Hi, Joan. <laughs> so, um, so Joan, that's a, a an interesting question. I love the metal roof concept, right? So let's quickly just talk about the differences between different types of metal roofs. So there's sort of a corrugated type metal roof, the kind that you might see that comes in sheets that you can sort of screw down, and you see those. You see the screws. That's a more utilitarian type love metal shack roof. Love shack baby. That's like, right there. Yep. <laughs> like where you see it on a uh, maybe an agricultural building or whatever. Right. Ha however, it's a less expensive kind of roof, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then the yeah, you think of more like like a tobacco shed or right some yeah, kind well, of right exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then the more common look w that is a little more refined and I think is a better solution is what they call a standing seam roof, mm -hmm. right? And standing seam roofs um, are they they're actually extruded. They come uh, there's a roll of metal in the back of a truck. It's a flat roll of metal, and they run it through a machine, and the machine shapes the the metal into a standing seam platform. Or standing seam sheet, like and so and they're, and they're so. What does standing seam mean? Like so, I, like like I keep hearing this, but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So and, and don't hold me to this. I think the I think the ribs on the standing seam are typically like twenty or twenty two inches apart. Mm -hmm. uh, but essentially, you have twenty two inches of sheet metal, and then you have a rib, and mm -hmm. a rib is going to stand up off the roof an inch and a quarter, inch and a half, something like that. But most importantly, the ribs are designed so they essentially interlock, mm -hmm. right? So from one sheet to the next sheet, they're set up in such a way that they're sort of like Legos, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when you put your sheets down, you then run a tool up the edge of the sheet that locks that crimp and connects it to the next sheet beside it, mm -hmm. right? And then you continue moving down, and as, as you lay new sheets on, you're crimping in them and connecting them and making them tight, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a bunch of advantages to uh, standing seam roofs. Uh, Cost is not one of them. Unfortunately, cost right. standing seam is a more expensive solution. Although they do last a very long time. They last. They do last a long. And not only do they last a long time, 
when they begin to fail, typically what fails is the paint finish, but that even that can right. last a very long time. Right. And there are painting products out there that allow you the ability to repaint your standing seam roof. Right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't let it get to a point where the actual substrate is failing, you can make your standing seam roof last for a super long time. Like what's a right? super long time? Oh. 100 yeah. years? Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, ag again, it's a maintenance cycle, I think, uh, but probably 50 anyway, you know. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, so a long time, no, no doubt about it. Uh, and there are, um, so advantages, I guess, are, I think, lifespan for sure, uh, durability in terms of, of how long, not only, not only lifespan just in general for the aesthetics of the roof, but also, um, you know, shedding, right? So a, a mm -hmm. conventional shingle roof is made up of hundreds of, or thousands, thousands of shingles. So you have thousands of joints thousands of areas of failure. So thousands of shingles that are combined with four nails per shingle, uh, all installed by hand, has a sort of a higher level of likelihood for problems, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and have a higher likelihood of level for problems as it relates to things like uh, wind and, um, and, and, and ice and snow causing failures over time. Um, and a standing seam roof has a lot less pieces mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. make that up and a lot less seams. and. In general, if you think about about a roof, and the ice and the snow does not stay on it typically, or if it if it but does, that's a, but it's that's a like two edge, that's a double edged sword. Yeah, the ice and the snow do not stay on it. You are correct, uh -huh. um, but they stay on it to a point, depending on your slope, right. right? And and so the challenge there is, you know, if you have a slope that allows the ice and snow to build up, it will do that until it won't do that. And then it all lets go. And once. then there's a rumbling noise in your house yeah. and you look out the window and a huge pile of snow, right? Right. A and so the ch the danger there, obviously, is were that to happen when you're, if you don't... Standing there. Right. right. And, and so people do die. Absolutely. You and know. so and yeah. so there are safety precautions that can be taken to preclude that. There are, there's there's snow guard that you can install on your roof mm -hmm. in the appropriate areas, meaning areas that you would, it would um, enter and exit the building such that nobody can ever be in a spot where they're like that, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, so so those are things to consider as well. Uh, but in general, I, I, I love the aesthetics of the standing seam roof, but it's the, I love the aesthetics on the right house, mm -hmm. right, in the right environment. So, uh, you know, if you're in a subdivision of colonial homes with architectural shingles, and you are the only person that puts a standing seam roof in your house, you're probably not going to match in that well. Right. And you may actually reduce the value of your home, mm -hmm. even though you've put a more durable product on your home. So mm -hmm. you need to make it the right choice that ties in not only from a durability standpoint, but also architecturally. Mm -hmm. so there are also today, you didn't, this wasn't a question, but tied into that now, there are manufacturers that make metal shingles. Um, and they're interlocking metal shingles. They also have a super long life. Mm -hmm. They look a little more like a shingle roof, uh, but they have a more longer. More like, like slate, though, right? They like, do. Yeah, yeah, that's a better yeah, that's yeah. A better description. They look a little more like slate. They're lower profile, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but they look a little more like slate, and that's uh, that's a consideration as well. So um, great alternative, but, uh, but need to be the right application. You also need to consult with your roofing contractor about, if you want gutters, how gutters are impacted by uh, metal roofs. Because mm -hmm. like you, we talked about the snow and, mm -hmm. the, and mm -hmm. so forth, you want them, you want to be in a spot where uh, snowfall doesn't rip your gutter off at the same time. Right. They're coming down in a, right. in a, in a rush. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, you also have the ability to, in some cases, um, improve efficiency because uh, some metal roofs have reflectivity properties where mm -hmm. you, depending on the coating you put on it, where... Uh, it will sort of uh, reflect or, or deflect some of the like heat summer gain. heat gain, so, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. the heat gain that can happen. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different reasons why you might want to consider it, uh, but be mindful also of the style of your home and and the appropriateness of it. Cool. All right. Well, 
thank you. I think we are going to wrap up this segment. We're going to have some more questions in the next one, so stay tuned. We hope you come back. This is Renovation Made Right, and this is Brenda Bryan. And I'm David Bryan. And we hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, renovationmaderight.com, and follow us on social media at Renovation Made Right. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review.